Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and films. For this episode, we're leaving the big city to tell you a little ditty, sometimes witty, about some kitties. But don't get caught up in the nitty-gritty, because the nostalgia's pretty, and the effects ain't... That's right, we're talking Ghostbusters Afterlife. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined as always by Andrew Knuckles. Hey, how's it going? And Joel Killingsworth. Hello. So guys, before we jump right into Afterlife, uh, what's on your watch list right now? Well, the big thing that I've been watching lately this week is Wheel of Time on Prime. Dropped the first three episodes, and I've been numbing those up as a uh, long time. Never, never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) As a a longtime fan of the book series, I'm very excited to see it on screen. Uh, there, there's a, a bit of, of mixed feelings going through these first three episodes. Some things I like, some things I don't like, uh, but, um, overall enjoying myself so far. Well, that's, that's, that's a positive. You're meant to be entertained, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, I mean, I'm also watching Wheel of Time. I am not a longtime fan of the books. I am currently reading through the second one and, uh, hopefully I'm going to try and finish the whole series. However, um, with that, The Expanse is coming out in basically two weeks at this point, which is going to be the final book for the nine-part series, and I'm so excited for that just because, like, that, th- you have Wheel of Time, I have Expanse. Yeah. And, and, like, there's... I've never found another, like, sci-fi series that really, like, did it for me, and this one just kind of, like, scratches, like, every single little itch. Mm-hmm. For for mm-hmm. what I want out of like a, oh it's almost hard sci fi it's right there it, it, it's like real close but it's not it's uh, I don't know how to describe it beyond it. it's not Star Wars but it's kind of like Game of Thrones if you if you're uninitiated with it uh, the TV series is also really good too but it's it's kind of its own thing kind of like Wheel of Time what it looks like it's Sounds going like to be going to be yeah. yeah well I mean any time that you take you you adapt cross platforms so dramatically from yeah. novels to to the screen like you you just you have to make changes yeah oh absolutely and sometimes the changes are good sometimes they hit sometimes they don't and uh i i actually like the first two episodes that i've seen of wheel of time so far but i'm also not a big you know deep fan of the books mm-hmm. so i have a lot less investment in all the characters and the character arcs that happen later in the books and all this other kind of stuff so um beyond that i'm watching great british bake-off which has just been like the last two episodes were probably the best of the whole series i've ever like seen so as steven can attest i haven't shut up about it for about two weeks and i'm not a baker i'm not like big on reality tv but just this season has just been so good well, the, the level of ability within just the whole crew, this go-around, has been really high. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just been fantastic. But the last two weeks have just been heartbreaking. No spoilers because, you know, if you, you haven't caught up on the series, you know, I don't want to mess anything up. The spoiler wall is well ahead of us at this moment. That is very true. It counts for everything. So, Stephen, what about you? Uh, well, I am also, like Joel, a longtime reader and fan of Wheel of Time. So, thus far, I've watched one episode of Wheel of Time. Uh, we've been... <laughs> digesting that a little bit uh we'll have to soldier on to other episodes uh outside of that actually been revisiting something that i never actually finished but i read part of it part way through and then kind of lost the track uh bone are you either of y'all does that fall I'm, on death i'm not ears? i'm not familiar 
I'm actually a little surprised for Joel. I'm not surprised for Andrew. Don't be surprised. Uh, so Bone <laughs> is a indie comic series from like the early 1990s, 1991-ish. Uh, and it was one of – I feel like at least it was one of the really big ones that made a big splash that wasn't Marvel or DC. It wasn't superheroes. Right. Uh, and it is – it's kind of a fantasy – it's not kind of – it is a fantasy story, hence Andrew's out. Um, <laughs> but it follows kind of a, a small, helpful protagonist. It's sort of – it's not Frodo-esque. It's not the prophecy or anything else this. But it has a really, really big scale to it. It's really cool. Uh, Lauren actually got me the whole series for my birthday. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. So I just blew through it because that's just – Because that's what you do. I Well, you you get back into it and I hit the point where I was like, oh, yeah, this is so good. And it was just, just mulching through pages at that point. So, yep. so yeah, it's, it's been really good. I'll have to uh, – if you're interested at all, you have to either look it up or I can loan you one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, all righty, guys. I mean, that sounds pretty good. But, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier now. We've got Ghostbusters Afterlife before us. And, uh, you know, looking back a little bit, we talked about Ghostbusters 1. We talked about Ghostbusters 2 in the run-up to this, this movie. Because yeah. uh, I think we were all pretty excited for it. And I think mm-hmm. that that held true throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll kick this off. Joel, you want to give us some scores? Yeah. So our aggregate score for the film was a 7.3. So mm-hmm. very respectable. Yeah. Now, if you if you go back... To prior, uh, I didn't actually write it down. Ghostbusters 1, I think we gave an 8.3? 8.2. Yeah. 8.2. And uh, 5.4? 5.2. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so far. 5.2 for Ghostbusters 2. So it's it's, it's in between those two territories. Yeah. It's a little higher towards closer to the original. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which uh, there are reasons for that. I mean, it, it riffs on the original a lot. So yeah. that, that's, that's to be – if you liked that, then it would be kind of expected. Yeah. Uh, so I guess on that note, maybe I'll give us a little bit of a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, the yeah. Movie for spoiler f- free, of course. Oh, oh, always, always, always. We'll be <laughs> as spoiler free as we can. Uh, so we're looking. Actually, that's hard to do a little bit without just giving everything away. Um, but we're following kind of the, I don't want to call it new generation, but younger generation. It's been 30 plus years since the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 happened. Yep. Uh, 2016 Ghostbusters is not in this timeline. It's its own. It's its own separate, thing. Separate just, universe. It will probably just die into obscurity. Well, I mean, it's it's that's that that is what happens sometimes. <laughs> um, but this picks up with the kind of the original universe, so it's playing off of the the Ackroyd, the um, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, yeah, all these all, yeah. when they existed, and people within the world, if you're of the right age, they remember the Ghostbusters, but they don't exist anymore. Uh, and we, we go to not the Big Apple, as I alluded to in the title. We go out to a very small town in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yep. Not Nebraska. Not there, Nebraska. Was a, there was a debate there was before a... the cast started. <laughs> it was not a debate. It was a slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, and hijinks ensue. And we have uh, characters kind of discovering their past that they didn't know about, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes from there. Yep. And it's a little bit of a torch passing. For for the newer generation of you know who knows if there's going to be more films or not, but they certainly if if you stuck around through the credits, they certainly implied there will be in there. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, honestly, it was definitely a film that I would go see in theaters again. Uh, I really enjoyed it. No, I I I have I don't see th- movies in the theater multiple times very often. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one that I think maybe it's not as as complete a movie as you would say, but for entertainment value, yeah, I, I would have no problem sitting in a theater for two hours again. Yeah, it was definitely a really enjoyable ride. Uh, couple, high, high adventure all the way through. Yeah, there's, there's a couple pacing problems and a couple weird 
kind of like I'll say clumsy additions into the story that or, you, or just choices that were made that I maybe wouldn't have fit as well as yeah. you would expect. Yeah. But you know, whenever you're whenever you're tackling um, essentially the third film in a super popular franchise, it's so hard to follow up, which we we've already talked about with Ghostbusters two, and then now you have essentially Ghostbusters three, and it's so hard for people to write a new film that pays homage to the originals while also creating something new. And I think they 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 pretty much stuck the landing. There's a couple things in there that I don't really agree with, but uh, overall I, I mean it was still very enjoyable even well, even being, you know, a pretty big Ghostbusters fan. I I think especially for the bar that we have seen set by other franchises, not naming names. Yep. This one stuck the landing far better than those managed uh, to well, do. And they, they definitely did a good job with the... He's talking about Star Wars. He's always talking about Star He's Wars. He's always talking about Star Wars. <laughs> but, I'm but, not going to let the sequels go. <laughs> they they did a really good job um, giving you enough nostalgia, but not just like saying, this is the only thing we have to give you. Oh, it, it wasn't just that. And I mean, we're, we're going to... This isn't spoiler, so, so we're safe right now. We'll get more in depth in this later. But it wasn't just that. It was that the nostalgia had purpose. Yeah. Right? So so I'm always talking about Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Force Awakens, they pull the, the the cover off R2-D2. Gasp, we revealed R2-D2. It has served no purpose for the movie other than to make you go, ooh, there's R2-D2. I like that thing. And since I like that thing, I like the rest of this thing, obviously. Whereas in Ghostbusters, when they did press the nostalgia button, it was either a critical piece to move the story forward. It was part of – it was a piece of equipment. Yep. It was a clue. It was something that tied into – it wasn't just look at the flashing lights. You like the, the flashing lights. There, there's, there are yeah. two in- instances, which I'll get into on the, but, on the second no, half. I have but, one for sure. And I, it's probably at least it's one probably the, the same, the same one. Yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of sounds like – unless Joel's got something else to add here before we – Enter into. I, I just wanted to say that absolutely McKenna Grace, the actress who plays the young female lead, completely uh, Phoebe, yeah. 100% stole the show. Oh, absolutely. A fantastic performance. It's really worth seeing the film just for her performance. Like, I, it was I, really, really good. I'm, I'm going to point at my notes, even though this is not a visual format. And, <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, McKenna, a revelation. I don't know. What else has she been in? I don't know. Um, so she, uh, in the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch show, she is young Sabrina in flashbacks. Okay. That's, that's, she was also, suitably obscure. <laughs> she's also young Captain Marvel in the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I, okay. Um, that, that fits because she actually dyed her hair. She's normally like a blonde, right? Yes. Yeah. She is pretty much always blonde except for this film. Okay. Cause this is, this is my first exposure to her and, Holy cow. Well, again, for performance casting rating, we'll get into that down the line. But holy cow, I just got to echo Joel. She was phenomenal. I mean, for my, my performance review, uh, my first line is McKenna Grace is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's really hard. I, again, we'll get it. We'll get there. In fact, you know what? We're just going to go ahead and press the button. <laughs> I, we are now entering the intermission. Uh, first, if you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. Uh, we are now closer to the intermission. If you don't want to be spoiled, this is your stop. Stand clear of the closing doors. Thank you.
And welcome back, everyone. We are now past the spoiler wall. We are into unknown territory. If you have not seen the movie, I told you your last stop was back there. I'm just kidding. I will push you off the train physically if I have to, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled. There'd be ghosts ahead. There are there are a lot of ghosts ahead. All right, so <laughs> well, actually, a lot less than you would think. Actually, well, we'll get there. But, but yeah, yeah, you're right. No, well, no, right. this this goes into spectacle. Kind but of. that is our first category. So, just a reminder: the score we gave overall was, was seven point three. Seven point three, yeah. and we have four categories going into that: spectacle, performance, score, and plot. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you, you're already talking spectacle. What was your score for? Spectacle? I gave spectacle a nine. So perfect. I mean, it not quite, it, but <laughs> almost. It's one of those things where they they took a lot of what we all kind of what I think we all wanted. We've all, I've always wanted to see the Ecto one or yeah Ecto one Ecto one yeah, um, like chasing and, and capturing ghosts and that kind of stuff. And well, that that was the stuff that you got in the cartoons yeah, and the video and, game, and, 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 yeah, or the you know just. The toys, like mm-hmm. you know, when you're growing up and you have like all the toys and stuff like that, you want to be able to see that in in like a TV or movie or whatever. Yeah, and they gave us that, which was one of the big things. But the honestly, like the special effects were just fantastic. They they had a really good tactile feel, like yeah. the original did, and the the CGI parts didn't really feel like CGI. No, they they really took the practical effects and supported that yeah. as opposed to kind of drawing attention to themselves and say, look, I'm CGI. Except, of course, for the tiny marshmallow men. But, yeah. like, I mean, what, what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, like, there's only so much you can do. And they, they man, they have so much fun yeah. with those two. Yeah. With, like with the, them, like... <laughs> yeah, with them just maiming each other. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Now, I mean, that, I like that y'all are both laughing over the marshmallow men because that's like my, one of my negative. Oh yeah, like there is absolutely zero reason for there to be any sort of residual to reference to a marsh, you know, oh, no, Stay Puft marshmallow. Does, and there's, but and there's no reason for them to exist either, right? The initial Stay Puft marshmallow man was the chosen reincarnation of the Destroyer, yep. and the fact that. Gozer's coming back doesn't mean that the marshmallows on the shelf reanimate and come back to and the, harass and like, you. And that's, like, kind of, what? that's kind of one of the things where, like, that that was one of the only points of the film where you're just kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, because it's all yeah. an in-joke for everyone that has watched the film. Yeah. But in the universe, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they're, they're just selling it to you. Remember uh, the Stay Puft? Yeah, yeah, there's well, more Stay Puft. You know, or it could be because Gozer remembers that. No, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I'm We're not just, going to the appendices to find a reference to the glossary. No, here. I, I, I totally agree. Like, so that's, you know, that's Joel, kind of a whole thing. Joel's already weighed in a little. Joel, what's your, what's your score on Spectacle? My score on Spectacle was very similar. It was an eight. I felt that it was a, a there, there were some slow parts. There was some extra scenes added to the, the older brother character that right. weren't really necessary. Like they were kind of following his. Would that be in plot? His yeah, you're arc in plot. as a, you're in plot. a plot. Well, right no, we're talking about pacing. That's plot. That's plot. Spectacle. 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 Ah. What it, the energy that you have from the show. Yeah, which I mean, pacing impression. has to do with that. No, but plot. going back to the practical, <laughs> Stick to the metric. Going back to the practical effects because that's firmly in here. Um, I really, really loved how they textured everything with the. This is this is how the original film looked. Right. Mm-hmm. This is what the things that are in that universe that we are explicitly trying to copy 
felt like. And they used modern effects technology in order to elicit that specific feeling and they did it perfectly. And, and that was, that was really impressive. Like, so it, it didn't look the flashiest, but it looked the best because it was the goal that they had. Yeah, I mean, it it fit within the real world they were creating. Yeah, right? like even even down to like the the lightning effects of when the the, okay, the gatekeeper I, and the keymaster <laughs> transform into dog form again, <laughs> and like they were so hokey and so bad in the original, and in this one, like they made them look just the same. But it was obvious that that was because they wanted it to look identical. So yeah. I I actually laughed in the theater because while the lightning effects were playing over, all I could think of was you in the last episode going like, oh, and the lightning effects were so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, the biggest standout sequence for for spectacle, obviously, is the ecto chase through Main Street yeah. Yeah. Of, of using the gunner seat and the remote control trap and all this other kind of stuff of them just like blowing up like half the town yeah. while this is happening. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, obviously it's a... Um, it's a movie to where like no one really dies. Right. You can't like um, like they're not going to accidentally like you know proton someone and then just like vaporize. Yeah, like th- it's yeah. not that kind of film. So that's what makes it even more fun whenever they're going through and just you know just everything is just blowing up around mm-hmm. it. It's like oh miraculously no one died. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm gonna jump in real quick before y'all take all the good points here. So so for a spectacle, I gave it a nine. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just kind of agree with you all on a lot of stuff. You know, the effects were great. I really love the the homage esque nature of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something that I think I really really stood out to me, and we kind of talked about this last episode uh, when we were talking about the difference between Ghostbusters one and two. Yeah. Was the stakes right? Ghostbusters yeah. one big stakes. Ghostbusters two less uh, big really, stakes. Not really that big yeah. stakes. It well, you have into the world, and then you have every other stake basically. Yeah. <laughs> and in this one, we're back to the big stakes, end of the world. Yeah. Uh, but we get to a little extra spice with it because it's big stakes in a little town, which I thought yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, and that's all. That's such a um, that's such an eighties style thing, where like like mm-hmm. like. Whenever you have like these big like action movies and that kind of stuff, it's always like they always take place in like smaller towns because like people aren't prepared for it. What's What's funny is you say that, and and when I think of eighties action movies, I think of you know Die Hard, which is in L.A., or another Die Hard, which is in New York, or <laughs> Ghostbusters, which is also in New, New York. York. Okay, uh, that's fair. I'm, maybe I'm I, wrong. I'm actually struggling to come up with one where it's a big maybe um, uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn would be that, one. I don't know if that was 80s or 70s. I'm not positive. I think Red Dawn was 70s. I think it was 70s too. Joel's, Joel's going for the phone here. Going to look it up real quick. But, but I mean, but, no, no. I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, it, to maybe a more modern reach, uh, and this is comparison's been made a lot. Stranger Things. Stranger right? Things yeah. is a small, you know, no name. T- I don't actually. I, I only Hawkins. watched a little bit of the show, but it's a no name town yeah. basically. Yeah. It's, it's nowhere, and this is the same feel, which yep. I think drew a lot of comparisons from some reviews. Yeah, uh, some positive, some negative, some unhappy that Ghostbusters wasn't in New York. It is, it is, it is not unfair to say that this is Stranger Things Ghostbusters edition. Oh, we even have a main character from Stranger <laughs> yeah. Things. Yeah, in it. Wait, and 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 we'll we'll get to we'll get to Finn. I, we, we, we've, bit, we're, yeah. we're 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 basically there. We yeah. can just go ahead and say performance. Yeah, and now we're there. Cool. Wow. Red, Red the Dawn page. release date nineteen eighty four. Okay. Oh, oh okay. It's right on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fair. Uh, nothing like summoning up a good red scare when the Cold War was almost over. <laughs> uh, 
Anyways, now into performance. I'm going to take this first because y'all are taking all the good stuff. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nine. Okay. Nine. So no, we're not going full. No full German here. <laughs> not yet. Wait until Andrew gets it, and then we can go full German. Uh, so I think out of everybody, uh, and I know there's a little bit of disagreement here. I think Finn was a bit the weakest talking about Stranger Things, uh, and I don't know that that's necessarily his that's a- fault. Well, so okay, so sometimes you rise above your material, and sometimes you don't. And the material wasn't great. I don't know that he improved on it any. He just was the material. You know, he was well, what he needed. He he is the disenfranchised teenager that has moved from the big city to a small town in but the middle mom, of nowhere. Uh, you know, I saw a comment somewhere that he just kind of looks like he's permanently being told. He has the face that he's permanently being told to go clean his room. Absolutely. I mean, and like that, that's, that's, that's a teenager face. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a teenager face. Yeah. He plays the part very well. However, I wouldn't really say like I don't think that he was a strong part of the film he is very much a supporting well, character well, so hold up now this is this is a subject as a relative scale right when i say he is the weakest i gave this a nine everybody else is phenomenal oh i he just isn't phenomenal i beg to differ i know you beg to differ <laughs> but i i'm just gonna go ahead and let me get in here and steal all your points real quick uh grace mckenna we already talked about her amazing yeah we're gonna talk McKenna about grace is it really mckenna grace mckenna grace oh i mm-hmm. thought it was grace uh, you know, either way. Okay. McKenna. <laughs> it's fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Revelation. Uh, Logan Kim podcast. Yeah, he was great. I loved him. He perfect. Ro- Actually, we'll, we'll get there in just a second because I'm going to say this. Uh, Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd. Which yeah. Is a either you love him or you fantastic. hate him. Well, so I had concerns, right? And we'll get into it a little bit in plot, but they started to set up the whole where it became obvious he was going to be the gate master or the, the, the key master or the key master? Key, key master key master yeah i know uh he was going to be that and it was yep. like oh i'm i'm uncertain if the kids can carry the screen with him basically out of it essentially oh. as a and then they got to the point and it was like why was i worried about yeah, well this? Yeah, with 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 podcast and and Phoebe on the screen, like you don't need anything else. Their their interactions was were so good, and they felt incredibly natural, mm-hmm. almost well, very. Throughout. It's very. I mean, because clearly they're both social outcasts, but mm-hmm. in different realms. Yeah. For, for different reasons. For different reasons. And both of them, in a lot of ways, are kind of uh, they they've chosen to be outcasts in a way. Yeah. That the pursuits that they have decided they love and they want to do they just doing, makes them outcasts. Well, it just. It sets them apart. It makes them the outlier. And in, in a, at a young age, if you're in middle school or high school, if you're the kid, if you get labeled as the this kid, you're just automatically you know an outcast. Yep. And if you really love it, then it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we kind of saw that play with them, and it, it felt incredibly real. So, anyways, I'm I'm talking enough. I've stolen all your points, Andrew. Oh, okay. you did not steal any of my I points. Know, I know. <laughs> uh, so I gave it a seven out of ten. Mm. Now the reason why. Is okay. No so, German. like all of the all of the characters we've already talked about, great. Like they they did a fantastic job. I I, I left this one for you. I I think that Callie or, or Carrie Coon's character mm-hmm. just was just fell so flat. She just had nothing. But now, is this is this the actor's failure or is this the script's failure? Possibly both. Okay. I mean, I did say I mean, it's really, it's really like difficult. rise above your material. It's really difficult to differentiate. It is. So, like, all, all we have is the performance. So, right. okay, at the beginning of the film, I actually liked her a lot. And then as the film progressed to where they gave her more screen time with more emotional weight to whatever she was doing, mm-hmm. I could tell that she just couldn't carry the character 
where it needed to go. Okay, you know what? That's that's very fair. I think at the start of the movie, she handles the, uh, you know, single mother evicted, yeah, down on her luck, keep these kids in line. Mm-hmm. Why why does but nothing work? The, I, that handled really well. And then toward, like especially in the third act where she goes down into the basement where she like sees the whole wall of pictures and stuff. That's that's the last heartfelt moment of the film that involved her for me. Because mm-hmm. she did do a good and job. She did there. good with that, and then you know she gets possessed, and then the whole um, almost Sigourney Weaver gatekeeper stuff was just super weird, and I did not like that at all. But then, especially <laughs> the the stuff with Harold Ramis at the end and Egon, where like you know like she's hugging his his spirit and everything. Like I just I felt nothing. She just didn't have, and especially whenever they they made her unpossessed and they got her back from being a dog and then they were driving mm-hmm. that scene just absolutely killed it for me because she just had nothing well at at that point she was definitively a backseat character right like, yeah like, and it was really obvious that she was not the main focal point well anymore, and, and, and she, she didn't necessarily do a great job of of still uh, being who she was i don't know yeah, there's something weird going on there it was just a really i just i didn't like any of her writing towards the end of the film. And that could just be the script that she was given and the direction that she was given. But her character just really took a lot of the steam out of the last half of the film for me. Okay. That's, that's fair. Uh, do we want to toss it to Joel? Yeah. You, you got that, your, that, you That's pretty much. Yeah. Rant in, so. <laughs> uh, so I also gave it a 7 out of 10. See, no Germans here. I, I felt that aside from what we've already talked about with McKenna Grace's performance being absolutely phenomenal, the rest of the cast was uh, they, were, they were fine. Fine. They were there. Right. And there were there were some great little moments mm-hmm. that that they were able to eke out of scenes. Like one that sticks out is when they, they first get there and uh, Trevor notices the pretty girl. Right. And yeah. he's like, oh, that was great. Oh, I, I hate this town. I hate this town. Oh, maybe Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to go get out <laughs> of the car. I have something to go stay do here for the summer. And. and uh Callie looks at her son noticing the reversal and is like, what's going on? And then she looks out the car, sees the girl and just goes, oh, and then turns <laughs> around and starts talking to Phoebe. And like that little moment, like there were, was, those, really those kind of moments were sprinkled around the whole film. And so there were little nuggets of truly great performances in every scene. But I think overall, those were the exception rather than the norm. Than the norm, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, and that's fair. The the one thing I'll also say kind of going with that is the the side side characters. So like just like the um the all the other people that like work at the the diner or whatever that they're mm-hmm. that they're doing, like they actually did a really good job of just like getting in those like the small town jabs into the new oh, kid. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no. It felt such like a the outsider going into the small town. Yep. And and Instantly pegged as you don't you don't fit her you ain't from around here yep. and oh you're trying too hard uh, all of that the the little bits when they're kind of like going up to the mountain riding mm-hmm. which I mean we're from Alabama uh, <laughs> I don't know where anyone else maybe was raised or from but boy that there was some familiarity in some of that yeah uh, and also I don't know. Again, maybe an Alabama thing, but I looked. I was like, "Why is everyone in the Camino instead of in the pickup truck?" Oh, the pickup truck doesn't have a tailgate. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, really small pieces <laughs> like that. That has nothing to do with performance whatsoever. But I'm there, so yeah. Um, I, like, I mean, overall, like everyone had their moments, mm-hmm. and and really just Carrie's or Callie's 
Carrie, I can't, it bothers me that it's basically the same name. <laughs> so, okay, so I have a pet theory, and I don't mean this as any slight to her or anyone else in general, but I have a pet theory that when a character name is really close to the actor's name, it's because they can't remember who remember the name, <laughs> or it's because their surrounding cast can't get their name straight, so they have to make it really close so that they'll stop messing it up. Yeah. Okay, so let's and moving forward. <laughs> yeah, let, let's move on to score. This will probably be the quickest one. There's not much to talk about. Yeah, there's really not too much. Go for uh, it. I gave it a seven out of ten, just because it was basically the same as the original. Like they they had a couple like remixes and some newer stuff in there, but it was generally mostly forgettable for me. Just just the newer stuff. Obviously, the older stuff like it's just ingrained in my hand. It'll never go away. Yeah. But they, I think they did a good job at at punctuating a lot of the scenes with the original music to to give you like the sense of like oh yep yeah, this is this is kind of like you know what's going to happen here but let's see how we do it you should you should know there's a connection coming yeah 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 i also 7 out of 10 a lot of the same reasons they're just there wasn't a whole lot of room. You know, there, there are some movies where the score absolutely picks the movie up on its back and carries it. And there are other movies where the score just kind of exists. Yep. And and this is the latter. Yeah. And thankfully, the rest of the movie was good enough. It didn't need to be carried a lot. Yeah. So it doesn't really hurt for it. It just, as an individual piece, I can't say a whole lot wonderful about the score because I just didn't notice it. It just didn't stick. It, it never stuck out and hit me in any one moment. Yeah. I don't know, Joel. Well, I also gave it a 7 out of 10. So oh, we are in consensus. very much agreement here. I will say that there was one particular moment that stuck out, and that was at the very beginning, before the first scene even begins. And you have the almost the kind of music coming in. Yeah, very much evoking the feeling of the opening of the original film right. where you're going to the library and the music is conveying to you what you should expect from this movie. It is saying things are spooky, but also kind of fun and quirky. And I, I thought that that was a really excellent use of the score there. The rest of the film, I mean, it's what you would expect from any modern film. You have the music that is conveying to you the emotional substance of the scene that you're watching and it performed that task adequately. You can blame Marvel for that. Oh, I was I was going to make a Marvel <laughs> reference as well and that it's very much so a Marvel style score, of scoring. Right, because you have the uh, Every Frame of Painting video on YouTube which he doesn't yeah. make stuff anymore but if you have a chance Oh, absolutely check him out. Absolutely check it out fantastic. and watch it and then be sad he doesn't make anymore <laughs> because uh, the one about Marvel scores where he goes around and asks people well give me something, can you can you hum or sing something from a Marvel score? Not not a you know, Guardians of the Galaxy style, we have a, but original pieces, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And, you know, if Star Wars or any of these big legendary soundtracks, anyone can give you Jaws, right? Or, or Star Wars or Harry Potter. Right, any of those. No one can do anything from Marvel because it just doesn't really exist. It's just in the background so it, far back there yep. that it just doesn't exist. Well, and, and the only one that people did get was the actual Spider-Man theme song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a score. It was there. It didn't offend me. It, it did nothing it, to detract from the movie. Exactly. It just never... There just wasn't anything spectacular about right, it. Right, yeah. It yeah. never had that moment of, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Weird. It, it wasn't like Dune in IMAX whenever the sandworm is like eating the, <laughs> the crawler and you're just like, oh, this is this is why I'm here. You're just buried in intensity. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the plot. Back to the plot. Back to the plot. Uh, Joel, what you got? Uh, well, this is where it's going to take a dive. I gave it a six. Ooh. 
Okay. Harsh. So largely this was due to kind of the things that a lot of people probably wanted out of the film. And that was the inclusion, <laughs> the inclusion of the original characters. I felt that while most of the film revolves around Egon and his, you know, his family and his mission that he took upon himself to save the world from the return of Gozer. Yep. Um, all of that was great, but then they they tried to shoehorn in bringing back all the rest of the original cast, mm-hmm. and it that can be done, and it can be done well, and I don't think they succeeded. It was it was relatively clumsy, and I there was like it's the whole there was just kind of this weird uncanny valley in the conversation with him, with Dan Aykroyd and McKenna on the it, phone. It, that, that's because it wasn't a conversation between the character Ray and, and the character Phoebe, it was a conversation between Dan Aykroyd and the fans. Yeah. Yes. And it, it was very much so. And that's partly maybe where the plot suffers, mm-hmm. right? Because bringing back the original cast, that's what all the fans want. You, you, If you really want to sell it, you fit it in there, especially once it became kind of a tribute for Ramus. Yeah. Because if you have a tribute for him and you don't, have the buy-in from the original cast, is it really a tribute, right? right? Yeah. Uh, well, especially for Murray, because I know they had um, a pretty big fallout after Groundhog Day. Yes. Or, or even during Groundhog Day. Yeah, really. even during. But yeah. yeah, the production is what um, put a but, big wrench in there. But but living up to his his persona, Bill Murray also still manages to look kind of like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like always. I, you know, at some point, you know, you have the RBF, right? Yeah. It's almost like there's it's like a, it's another RBF. It's just resting Billface, and maybe that's maybe that's the problem. Maybe he always looks like he doesn't want to be there because it's just he's not currently acting, and this is just what his face looks like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, so I gave it a seven, so slightly better than Joel. Yep. Not by a ton, but a little better. I, you know, they it was solid. They hit the classic beats, and they actually hit the classic beats. So, you know, I hate doing this. We're going to go back to Star Wars. <laughs> right? It's Force Awakens all over again. Well, it's all it's all of them all over again. But, <laughs> like, the movie is original Ghostbusters, boom, 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 I mean, boom. it's it's the same plot with a different opening, basically. Yeah, yes. almost exactly. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't and, form the company. And just like Force Awakens is a new hope, but just with new characters. Yeah. Right, but you didn't – you had some – neat twists that I really liked. I, the the going from New York to the small town, mm-hmm. I felt like gave them a lot more room to do something different. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because it felt kind of like going from one to two, they kind of struggled to up the ante. Well, and I I like how they added in, um, obviously because it's Gozer stuff, um, they had to, Evo Shandor mm-hmm. was like, he was the guy that built the, the skyscraper and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the mountain where he mined it. Yeah. Which is referenced in the it is. Like, first like, movie. Like, that's really great. Yeah. That's really fantastic. Having having the entirety of going through the whole thing where the two demon dogs are hunting down people so that they can possess them yeah. and enact the ritual to bring back Gozer. Like, again, exactly in the same way. I actually viewed it as a really big negative because it's I, like I've, I've already seen this I did, movie. I did well, too. At that point, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right? You know how it's going to work. And we had the same beat. We didn't have a meddling government employee. We had a meddling possessed Paul Rudd who freed all the ghosts. Yeah. Right? But it's the exact same kind of thing. 
uh, happening again. I, I do like that it let them do some other twists, though. So when you go back to original Ghostbusters, right, you have, um, oh, wow, I just blanked on his name, Louis Tully. Yeah, uh, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Holy yeah, yeah. cow, I can't believe I messed that up. Him running from the ghost dog. Mm-hmm. And he gets to Tavern on the Green, which is high society, fine dining, and the dog gets him right in front of the glass, you know, and everybody kind of pauses for a moment <laughs> and they go after what they're doing. Yeah. And you have the exact flip of that with with Rudd, where it's in a Walmart. <laughs> yeah. And I really love that flip. Uh, and I love the the jump where he, they reference back to the car, him sliding in oh, through the Artie bus. Yeah, it was so I good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if I'm going to ding something else in the plot, it's going to be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men. Of all the pieces that were callbacks for nostalgia, I think that one felt the most forced, even more so Whoa. than... Whoa. Oh, oh, no, no, sir. Even more so than bringing back the original cast. Whoa, no, not even that. Oh, no, way more forced. Oh, my gosh. Way more forced. How, how, okay, whatever. Almost, I'll, get almost, back. <laughs> I'll get back to you in a minute. Almost 100% unnecessary for any part of the storytelling except as a way to delay Finn's involvement involvement in the finale, which could have been done any other number. We already said, hey, it's a shock that the Ecto-1 just like could floor it and go after sitting idle for however long. It could have just been that. It could have just been broken and podcast fixed it. You didn't, you didn't need them there. You didn't need them in the Walmart. You just didn't need them. Were they cute? Are they going to sell a bunch of merch? Are you going to get to buy a bag of marshmallow men that you can bite their head off? Probably. All right, Andrew, go. <laughs> okay, so I gave it a five out of so ten. So y'all, y'all are all guns blasting right now. So, I mean, you gave it – I'm right in between. You gave it a seven. I yeah. gave it a six. You're below me. Therefore, you're all guns blasting. <laughs> okay. So, hold on. You gave it a five. Are you are not going to ding them for the marshmallow men? Wow. All right. Well, what are we going to ding them for? Okay, so I'm going to sandwich this like a, like a standard graphic design critique. I felt that the film itself was a great heartfelt homage and tribute to Harold Ramis, who mm-hmm. was one of the, you know, obviously one of the original Ghostbusters. He helped write and do all this other kind of stuff mm-hmm. for the film whenever it first came out. And he had such a presence on screen that it's hard to um, replicate that. And McKenna Grace did a wonderful job mm-hmm. at, at filling in that kind of yeah, shoe. I, I think that that's a really good thing to point out. It's really difficult to fill his shoes and she's 15 and, and did a phenomenal yeah, job. Yeah, she did a great job. And overall, I mean, like, honestly, like, the first, I'll say two-thirds of the movie was just, I loved it. Like, everything that was happening, I was like, this is great. Pacing's fine. Like, I, it, there was, you know, like, a couple things here and there. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, but it didn't really bother me. Where it falls apart is where they ran into the same problem that they did in the first movie and the second movie, I guess, too. They just didn't really know how to end it. Yeah. So then they just kind of like, I felt that they were just like, okay, well, now we're going to make the ritual of these dogs like chasing people down and like possessing them. That's just going to be like how it's done. Not like, oh, this is just how it happened in the first movie because Mm -hmm. that was just the situation that it was. No, this is actually what it is. This is what Gozer does. And so now they've kind of retconned like, okay, so whenever Sigourney Weaver in the first movie gets possessed, and she opens up the door and she has this like this breathtaking like robe on in your mind. You're like, oh, well, she just she, like her character just has this robe. Yeah, she's full on like, smolder. In like, the, yeah. like this is this is what something that she purchased like in the universe. But no, apparently now that's just the magical thing that happens whenever yeah, that, you that get was possessed. Little, that was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it took it takes a lot of the the umph away 
for both characters now. Well, it breaks up the kind of the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, you're yeah. just like because now she just has these magical robes on that's just like that's part of it. And I then mean, in the uh, hold on now, they they transform from dogs to people to dogs. I actually I don't know if nitpicking the clothes is the real complaint. <laughs> well, like, at the point that you go from dog to person to dog, I don't know if the fact that they change what they're wearing is something that we look, really complain I can about. I can absolutely <laughs> accept that there is some demon dog that lives in a refrigerator that possesses you know, whoever he decides that he wants to possess can reach through the chair. But I do not agree with the fact that clothes can just randomly materialize on people in a, a very realistic world. Man, people people coming back to life in a glass case after being dead for 70 years. Andrew accepts that. She got a new dress just for being possessed. I don't accept that right out. Well, moving on to a different kind of complaint, um, talking about the you know, the culmination of the whole ritual thing, yeah. you know, going to the the temple that the dude built in the cavern for the whole culmination of bringing Gozer yes. back, right? In the original film, I had a huge complaint with, they just faced off against Gozer and Gozer was like, okay, die now. And then like, didn't kill them. Yeah. Right? Right. yeah. <laughs> and I loved the answer that this film had for that. And that was, there was a bit of um, Legerdemain and they snuck the trap in and caught one of the dogs. Right. It removed half of her power. Right. And so she's so so the 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 arch nemesis figure is is like very unstable and not really able to exert their full power so, in this world for the majority of the climax, which so I thought I was think, a really great way to handle it. I think that. it's really funny that you pointed that out, right? Because I, I went back, I looked at some of the reviews, some of the negative reviews, and a lot of complaints I saw were, well, Gozer just stands there and waits for them to do something instead of killing them all. And in the first one, I think that's, that's a fairly valid complaint. Mm-hmm. And in this one, uh, they kind of had this, you know, hey, we, we're bringing back a, you know, deadliest, demon creature from the nether or whatever to destroy all world and we're instead of facing off with grown men it's children maybe we should give an excuse for why they're not just instantly dead yeah so did they ever i guess i i possibly missed this whenever like the the whole dais and stuff was being like recreated like through all the magic and mm-hmm. stuff whenever everything was like blowing up did did that like open up a hole in the mountain or something because how do they get the car in there yeah, it it had like that whole front facing broke up and like shattered and fell fell away. Okay, yeah. Because whenever I saw like like I guess I just missed it because I was like paying attention to something else on the screen, and and then I just like saw the car in like the cavern. I'm like, but that how did how did they get the car in there? And the then elevator. they just like got yeah. in the car and just drove away. I'm like, wow, that is a very agile car. It like so the 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 door and the the dog post yeah. and everything like. Kind of like push forward, forward and like yeah. broke through the wall okay. where the carvings were that they had looked at earlier. Okay, that's that's totally fine. Like as long as other people saw it, then I I didn't <laughs> I didn't knock it for that actually at all. I okay, just yeah. that was just something that I wanted to bring up because I, I mean that would be a great when it. it's just like oh we just fit the car down the elevator shaft and then we just drove it through the mountain because plot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny. Yeah, uh, the the ending um, scene with all like the, the, the field of traps and all this other kind of stuff, despite kind of a, a clumsy entrance for the original cast, mm-hmm. once they were there and they started like actually interacting with things, I felt that it was, it felt pretty natural, especially after they were got got knocked on their feet and then Bill, yeah. Bill Murray started doing his thing. <laughs> well, like, like the initial scene where they show up is very much that same 
you know, Gozer is back to its full power. Mm-hmm. Why is it not just killing everything, especially with the the facing these individuals that stopped it last time, right? Yeah. And so, like, there's there's a lot of that because the reason is that you needed to have time to absorb the the original cast the, the showing emotional up, impact. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it didn't really make any in world sense. But then once that the actual action came through, and the moment where you have the final piece where uh, Phoebe, Phoebe is is you Egon know, doing the thing and and Ghost Egon is is helping, is helping her. her like oh oh spirit. yeah hold on oh. I gotta make a distinction spirit spirit, spirit Egon, Egon. Yes. not not worthy not of being pulled into a trap exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, there is a reason he is not a ghost he is a spirit and he does not get pulled in the trap because, because he is not a ghost because this universe has strict rules it, it it's called it doesn't hey, Joel Joel it's called Ghostbuster afterlife egon went on to the afterlife he's not just a ghost after after this part yeah. but yeah <laughs> anyways uh so one of the things that that i'm gonna throw down too just because we're talking about the original cast re-entering right yeah so something that stuck out to me throughout the movie with the kids interaction like the kids interactions felt very natural and normal and i love the conversations it did not have the same kind of quip factor that you get with the original cast no no where they're all sharp right back and forth at each mm-hmm. other and I, I kind of liked – I like the – I obviously like the substitute. We were talking about it before the show of all of Phoebe's jokes, the dad jokes. Yes. Because those are phenomenal. Whoever wrote those, gold Thank star, you. <laughs> you have just made so many wives and children unhappy. It's amazing. I have legitimately used those jokes since watching the film. On people who were in the theater with you, I'm on, sure. On, well, and people who were not. <laughs> but, but, but mostly people who were, just so they know this, this is what did it to you. But I, I like that as the substitute. But again, kind of going back to the original, the jarring original cast enters. It's kind of a little off or weird. And then the fight starts and, you know, she like knocks them all down. And, and Dan Aykroyd is, oh, I don't I don't remember this being so painful. And Winston is just, I do. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, like that right there is mm-hmm. the the magic. It's not just Bill Murray monologuing to Gozer yeah. or whatever, but just the ease with which all of them interact with each other. Well, and... And they have such a like they have such a vernacular mm-hmm. with each other, especially even even before just just going into the first movie. They these guys are seasoned comedians, right. and essentially, I mean, McKenna Grace is she's fifteen years old, like like she. I mean, she how clearly much, how much seasoning can there actually yeah, be at some point? Like, right? and and no, there's really no one else there to like bounce off. I'll say like true jokes with her mm-hmm. because the, the modern style of comedy now, which is I'll say millennial comedy for lack of a better term is more like observational and sarcastic. Whereas original like ghostbusters in the eighties and nineties, you know, they just, they, it was much more of a slapstick style of like, like joke, laugh, joke, laugh. Kind well, of thing. There's also kind of sharp retort, witty repartee yeah. kind of thing. Like you're, you're meant to have, equals shooting back at each other mm-hmm. whereas the other one is just kind of an observation into the void yes yeah yeah and 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 they they play with that comedy just fine it just like it's just a different style of comedy than what dan Aykroyd and and bill yeah. murray and all them have yeah, also i think having that too because you know throughout the movie you don't have that and without egon as that straight man who mm-hmm. really played it off so well you kind of feel the lack and then even yeah. with the original cast there because they, I think, wisely chose to make Egon's reincarnation silent. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you, that they you did feel, that. You can really yeah. feel 
the lack, like his his presence is there, but you still feel that it's not the complete. Full, like, yeah, you yeah. don't get the full thing. You, you also don't stray into the uncanny valley Thank because God. he's Thank not God. he's not like it's just very subtle emotion mm-hmm. on his face. He's just generally pleasant, smiling. Yep. And just looking and you're not, you're not having to animate the mouth. You're not having to do any of that stuff. And like it, and because you're already kind of making him look spectral, there's a mask in front of you realizing, Hey, that's CG. Uh, Unlike, um, uh, Graham off Tarkin for Peter Cushing in Rogue One, where like, I thought they actually did a pretty good job with him, but it was still very weird. Mm -hmm. I just, I just want to say. We went back to Star Wars. I didn't do it this time. But, <laughs> but in both cases, right, in Rogue One when they had Moff Tarkin talking with him facing the viewport, I was like, oh, cool. This is how they get around it. And then he turned around. I was like, okay, I'm immediately wrong. <laughs> and then in Afterlife, they had Egon at the start right, running. He's the shadowed figure. Yep. You ever see him. I was like, oh, cool. This is how they get around it. And then as we went on, he interacts you know, spectrally, he moves the light. Which I thought that was such a good that was, touch. That mm-hmm. was so clever because you could kind of feel – I mean, literally the presence of Egon being like, this is how you do it. You go here. You can do this. It's here. It's there. So I, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest here. I actually didn't realize until the second the second interaction when she was actually down in the basement um, and he was kind of like showing her around and stuff. I actually didn't realize that that was Egon for like until then. Oh, like playing chess well, with her? Yeah. I, well, was, so you, I thought it was just a ghost. And yeah. then I was like, of course it's Egon. Why did I not think yeah. about that? Well, so – but. That's fair though, because you but you do get kind of some of the horror elements yeah. in this movie. I think maybe more so than in some others, where it feels there's more. I mean, you start literally with Egon dying. It yeah, feels more dangerous. Yeah, mm-hmm. and initially I wasn't positive it was going to be Egon, and I wasn't sure if this was going to be her introduction into Ghostbusting was just she's going to see a ghost. Yeah, and then as it, once it became obvious it was a benevolent presence, mm-hmm. it had her attention. Yeah. Um, Anyways, back to what I was. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I got distracted because I, I so had to rudely just interrupted <laughs> and have now lost my train of thought. Uh, but but again, throughout the movie, oh, this is really clever how they're incorporating Egon into it, making him an active part of it, without having to you know have a voice actor necrophilize him back to life via CGI. I mean, yeah. let's just be honest. That's it's just weird. I don't like it. And then. Of course, by the end of the movie, uh, well, I was wrong again. Although I, I will say, I will say, read some articles. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was a Vanity Fair article. I don't know exactly offhand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they interviewed his eldest daughter, and the script went past his entire family. The, yeah, and, had, and they did. They did agree to make sure, like, yes. like there was no. And, and I'm pretty sure, like Dan Aykroyd was very adamant about that. Yeah. To where they like they would not, you know, have him in the film at all if they didn't if agree. If they to didn't it. agree. Yes, exactly. They all I think he has two daughters and two sons, mm-hmm. but his surviving family all agreed, yes, this is good. Uh, we appreciate and, and it's tasteful. It yes. And in the uh interview with the eldest daughter whose name I've totally blanked on, she even said that it was, you know, she knew going into seeing it that it was going to be catharsis and she assumed it would be, but she didn't realize how emotional a feeling yeah. it would be for yeah. it to be, you know, this is my dad. I mean, yeah. I, I have no connection to the man other than seeing him in, in this other film, right? Yeah. And that you've only watched once prior to this. <laughs> and I was very emotional during the, oh, the, oh, yeah. the they, scene when they he tugged. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, it was very tasteful. There was no, um, like, it didn't, it didn't feel ham handed. 
of them just like, oh, here's the character that you know. Yeah. Well, and, and also not to not to just beat Disney over the head with this, but also to beat Disney over the head with this. <laughs> it, this was one of those things where Harold Ramis died, and it was part of the reason why the project was just delayed, shelved, etc. Yeah. wasn't going to happen. We're going to reboot a different universe, all this other. And then once it finally was, okay, we're going to do this without him. Mm-hmm. And then it became a homage to him. And really the whole story is about him and yep. Yep. his life and the effects of his life right after his life, mm-hmm. right? Versus Rogue One where you bring Peter Cushing in. And like this is not in any way an homage to Peter Cushing. Yeah, he's just it, a character Disney in a movie. just said, we have to have this character again. Bring him back to life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, for, I don't, for all I know, his family – I don't know. But it, it always makes me a little heebie-jeebie where it's kind of like, oh, like like the mouse is saying, I don't just own you. I own you for all time, you know? <laughs> I will always own your I image. Own, I own your likeness. Yeah, and if I if I need to, you will be in any movie I tell you to be in. You can't contract dispute me, right? Like, yeah. Stuff, it, it just kind of, ooh. And this one was not that. This was, yeah. this was really – Again, man, I'm just gonna keep. I'm gonna keep beating on Star Wars. I give up. <laughs> it, when you need to use nostalgia, right, to sell your transition from old guard to new guard, which is what we assume is happening, right? The after credits certainly imply there's yep. gonna be another one, and it looks like Winston's still going to be involved mm-hmm. pretty heavily, as he had was restoring Ecto One in that. Yeah, uh, and presu- possibly Dan Aykroyd. We don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. Andy Potts. We don't know who all is going to be involved, but. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, no. Uh, oh, but it it paid – it was respectful nostalgia almost throughout mm-hmm. in that, again, the nostalgia was useful. It drove the plot. It moved the story forward. It gave you insights into the characters. It did something. Yeah, it, did, it didn't just exist. Yeah, it didn't exist to be, ooh, yeah, look at that. Ooh, the shiny object. Ooh, you press the boat and have a little dopamine. Good, yeah, I mean, job. I mean button, except yeah. for the marshmallow. Except, yeah, the Stay Puft were I've the already, only I've thing. I've already said yeah. I don't like the marshmallows. <laughs> okay, so – I think we're. I mean, oh, we, we're, we're there. Yeah, yeah plot, you know, plot is the thing. Faithfulness. So faithfulness is a score that does not go into the aggregate score. This is just a either it's going to be faithfulness or originality. In this case, it's faithfulness because yep, it's a sequel. Uh, Joel, wait, well, no, not you. I went with you first, Andrew. Seven. I had, I had an eight. <laughs> I didn't ask you yet. Did you have anything to elaborate on that? Um, not really. I mean, I think we've kind of touched on everything. There was they did a good use of of pulling from the original content, and they did a good job of generally making something of their own, and and still you know still staying in the universe that they've that they originally created, mm-hmm. and outside of just the absolute absurd. Um, wardrobe stuff with the possessed people. <laughs> yeah. that, then, was, that was apparently very faithful to the original. Though. Oh god, <laughs> that like like that was one of those like if I wasn't in the theater, I would have outwardly groaned and just been like, "Are you kidding me?" Because like that you, you that took me that out of the theater. movie so was quickly. Really yeah, that was definitely the most vocal theater I've been in in a long time. But I digress. All right, Joel. So as I already stated, I had put down an eight. Um, I felt that the the conversation between Dan Aykroyd and the audience, as we have termed it, when Phoebe makes her one phone call out of right, jail, right? jail, yeah. The excuses that were given in order to set up the plot, the plot, and the background of everything that happened, I felt were really thin and were not really faithful to the characters originally, because like the entire movie hinges on Egon 
sees something in you know through his research and Ray not believe and Ray him. doesn't believe him and right. that's, just, that's, that's that's not how that pair has ever no, no, really no, no, functioned no. they 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 are in lockstep in absolutely everything right um and so for the entire movie to hinge on that inconsistency in the original characters bothered me a little bit but I thought that everything else was really quite excellently crafted to fit into the world portrayed by the original film yeah okay yeah so I I gave it a ten. Oh, this is this is as faithful as you can be from from my perspective, and partly just because it became an homage, right? I, I feel like this is as faithful as you can be to the original material. I mean, you turned on the proton pack, and it's just like you have that sound. Mm-hmm. And wish they used the switch on the back. I was they, so happy. <laughs> <laughs> but but they they you know like we said when they did the special effects they even went in to try to make them look like how the effects originally yep. looked just less bad yeah for lack of a different term I mean yeah yeah I, I still think the use. special effects in the original look great but anyways <laughs> you guys can just you know do your thing they were they were fine for 1984 yeah, they're they not good for, for now they're the special effects that we just watched were great and it even in themselves you know they they for all we know, the proton pack could have spat green now, and they could have sent a reason why. Oh, it sat disused for so long. But they didn't because they're being faithful, right? Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing throughout. And I think it really shows uh, the one that a lot of the people involved in the project really cared about the people, the the, the story or, or the franchise of Ghostbusters or, or the fan base. And we used, like you said, it was a conversation with the audience, mm-hmm. right? Um and I do wonder, you know, when Force Awakens hit, oh, I'm back to Star Wars. Um, <laughs> you had a whole bunch of people who signed up to be extras who were famous, but they didn't, they weren't shown, yeah. right? Because they wanted to be involved in a Star Wars project. So I think it's interesting. Do you know who played Evo Shandor? Um, um, uh, Don't look it up, Joel. That's cheap. I mean, I know who the, it is. I just can't remember. His I, name. I know who it is. Um, it's JK. JK. Yeah, JK. Yeah. So he's a pretty famous actor in his own right. Well, do you know who played um, um, the actress who oh, no, played we're play this game Gozer? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Olivia Munn. No, Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde. Oh, I gosh. always get that screwed up. Um, Olivia Wilde, but then her voice actress was the voice actress that plays in The Expanse, um, Avasarala. Yeah, because um, y'all jumped I, I, on that. I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce her actual, her real name because mm. it is not something. Gonna, yeah. Not going to embarrass yourself like yeah. that. Yeah. But it, it felt like one of those projects where there are so many people who grew up with this. Like it, And I don't know if it's true or not, right? But I feel just from watching the movie that Paul Rudd was someone who grew up with Ghostbusters oh. and loved it. Well, he's 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 52. That's like right he's around peak, the age. Peak in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say when he was cast, he announced that he had been cast on Twitter by going to the fire department and taking photos in front of it. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, he was super Super in. excited. Yeah. yeah. Even though the fire department doesn't really it, – it, it shows up a little bit at the end, but doesn't yeah. really figure into the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do feel like everyone involved was just so happy to be a part of it. Yeah. And I, we're, we're going to go – I'm not. it's not Star Wars. I'm not beating that one. Uh, McKenna Grace even went in – because I, I think we all agree, right? Phenomenal. Did mm-hmm. an incredible job. She really picked up kind of – the vibe of this is totally Egon's descendant, right? Yeah. Like she is related to him. <laughs> uh, she went in and, you know, like researched him, watched him play the character, watched how he did other acting yeah. just to try to really get it down. And even like, like you had said before, or I think after the movie, when we watched the movie, yeah. she dyed her hair. You know, it's usually, I think her hair is usually straight. Straight and blonde. Yeah. She made it the, the unruly to well, really, really just fit in. And so, you had a story with that, yeah. Well, so according to her, 
on set, um, like the first day that she showed up, people thought that she was just like the son of just like a stagehand. They didn't actually recognize her on set as <laughs> McKenna Grace. And um, apparently like uh, it's, I mean, like she just doesn't look like, like she does like in normal life. Like just because she's gone through such a transformation for the role. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's really impressive. And mm-hmm. um, so we, we, the one thing we haven't talked about yet is mm-hmm. the, the first post credit scene with Sigourney Weaver and Bill so, Murray, which I thought was hilarious and fantastic. So like we get to the credits and I'm like, okay, so the movie's over. And then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I thought I heard that Sigourney Weaver was in this film. And I was doing the exact same and then, thing. And then hey, we get to a scene boat. and I was like, oh. Well, I, and I like how they have like the, the credits and it's like, and Sigourney Weaver. And I'm like, wait a second. And yeah. I know everyone else did that and they just immediately yeah, got yeah, to the yeah, scene. Yeah. I, had, I had definitely had the moment was, what makeup was she wearing? Where was she? <laughs> yeah. Because I did briefly have the moment of, oh, was she just really heavily makeuped and she was the the old lady who worked at the diner? Yeah, or, or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, just snuck in there. Uh, but I, not to steal your thunder, I also loved the scene because it was more of the reversal. Yeah, that you saw going big town, small town, all mm-hmm. those things that had built up throughout the. Dare I say a subversion of expectations? <laughs> expectations yeah. Everything relates to Star Wars now, Joel. I I did really love in that scene, we see Vinkman still being a scoundrel, but no longer being a creep. A creep, creep, yeah. (laughs) It was was a much more natural, uh, we could be in a relationship and interact this way kind of thing. It definitely felt very natural for them. Just like, like they're just hanging out one day and like she's going through an old box of stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. she just found this. She's like, Oh, let's have some fun. Yeah. Well, well does this, how does this work? What was this even for? What yeah. were you doing? <laughs> well, you know, just testing. Well, test it on me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I will say also, I, I do like the fact, again, it's, you know, it's 2021, right? 1984 was a bit of a different world. We didn't just have straight, like Paul Rudd's going to be a creep this episode or for the whole movie or something, yeah. which yeah. I really appreciate that. Cause we got plenty of that in first Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like uh, I mean that that pretty well covered it. I think uh, I think we can we can call it at that. Yeah, go see the movie. It's yeah, good. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I, I you know seven point three. Maybe maybe that doesn't sound like an absolute crushing uh, recommendation, but you know, fundam- on the fundamentals, I think we can ding it some. On the entertainment value, really high, really far yeah. up there. I mean, there's yeah, a reason absolutely. I gave it a nine for spectacle. Like it was yeah. it was super fun. Lots of energy. Looked great. Hard to beat. Yeah, go go see a new generation of Ghostbusters, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but on that note, that is all the time we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. And every spoiler was intended. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spoilers Intended. If you would like to join the conversation and maybe suggest something you think we should review, head over to Discord. If you really liked what you heard, you can also support us on Patreon. Links are in the description below.